Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the she in Crepusion. <laughs> yes. Because the... that will make sense later. Yes. Because we have a cool guest. Who has a very difficult last name. We'll ask her about it. There's a she in there. Okay, that's the point. There is. That's the point. Anyway, hi. <laughs> I'm Summer, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. <laughs> Joy... I began to write a compliment for you. And this is what it says. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what happened. This is, this is what's in my notes. <laughs> and um, it says, if we were in an acapella group, and I forgot to write anything. <laughs> I just wrote. We would we were- be a part of. 15 movies about our acapella group. Right. I mean, I think the point was that I would be in an acapella group with you. Oh, I'd be in one with you. I actually think you have a good voice, but I don't know why. I think, have I heard you sing? Maybe. Okay. I've been told I have a good voice, but I don't sing a lot in front of people. I think you have a good voice. I think I know that somehow, but I'm one of those people where I don't want anybody to hear me sing ever. Right. Like my car windows can hear and that's, Pretty much <laughs> your car windows. That's pretty much the only people, person, things, person, places, things. Well, <laughs> you guys heard it here. We will be coming out with our acapella CD. We're a duet, so uh-huh. don't expect there to be lots of different parts because <laughs> there's two of us. And what's it going to be titled? Enjoy the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So what's funny? What made Fun. me think of what made me think of enjoy is that um, we have a voicemail thing oh, now, yes. and so it go it does. So we like to listen right. to them, of course, but uh, it will do voice to text. So it'll take the message that you send and try and to transcribe try to, it. Yes, and so um, it usually says summer enjoy. Because yeah. people are saying summer and joy. Yep. <laughs> so I thought of enjoy because right. I that's love it. my new name. It'll be a tribute. What is our phone number again where you can leave us a voicemail if you so desire? Um, I have it. I have it. Hold on. I have it somewhere. <laughs> I almost said bye. Someone just, a friend of ours just left the studio and I was almost like, bye. <laughs> I was like, oh, we're doing a show right now. Oh, is this happening? So we've- instead of doing it, I'm just talking about it now. We've, it's so meta. We've been in the studio for so long. Our number is 470-465-0475. And we got to pick our area code. And mm-hmm. did we tell them we picked 470 because... For some reason, we decided that the Chattahoochee meant a lot to us. It does mean a lot to the both of us. <laughs> and so we're like, let's choose an area code where the Chattahoochee lives. Yeah. Because you've lived in Georgia. I have. Near and the then, Chattahoochee. And then I <laughs> I would love, 
and actually have plans to hike the Appalachian Trail, which pretty much starts right. in that area. That's right. That's why. So, yeah. Well, okay. So, now you know. Georgia area code. 470-465-0475. You can keep calling us and leaving us voicemails. We've gotten so many songs. So many songs. A four-year-old sang us the doxology. So cute. And it was totes adorbs. And I just love the voicemails we're getting. We'll eventually start answering some of your questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right now there's a huge influx and yeah. right now we're just psyched to get voice messages. Yeah. Now we have to actually deal with them. I love them. Whatever. Anyway. Um, but you're right. <laughs> I am Joy. Joy. And I'm here with my beautiful co host, Summer. And Summer, I'm hoping that one day our families will go on vacation together and just the two of us will accidentally end up going to New York with a bunch of cash and credit cards and we can stay at the Plaza Hotel and eat Sundays and trick Tim Curry. That sounds like the best. Let's do that. I love Home Alone too so much. Me as well. Like in what other case outside of the Toy Story universe has... It's so rare that if there's a two at the end... That it's any good. That it's that it's going to be good. But they did it. Toy Story they did it. did it. And Toy Story went on to have three right. that were phenomenal. And that's just rare. Way to go, Home Alone. <laughs> Way to go. You guys are geniuses. Anyway, um, so I'm so tired. Uh, you can, did you know you can actually get a Kevin McAllister package if you stay at the Plaza Hotel what? in New York? What do you, you can mean? You stay in his room. No. And then one day of your choosing, a limo will pick you up with a cheese pizza in it. Are you serious? Yeah. Stop. Let's uh -huh. go. We have to go. I know. We have to do it. I mean, I've been in a limo in New York City, but it's not. There was no cheese pizza. Right. So that's. I spent a lot of time in upstate New York in my childhood, mm -hmm. but I've actually never been to the city before. What? Nope. Never been to You've the city. You've never been to the city? And I would love to go at Christmas yes. because I just feel like mm. it's just oozing Christmas there. All the lights. I was going to start quoting You've Got Mail, but you don't even like that show. Movie? What is happening? You're right. I don't even like it. <laughs> You're so like right. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, so we have a guest today. <laughs> and I'm super excited to tell you guys about this book because probably this is the first book since even Exile that I would just want everybody to read. Right. Um, and it's probably no coincidence that this book is written by a friend of Becca Merkel who wrote and printed by Canon Press and also printed by Canon. They just, they're just popping good stuff out. You know, they are like, like women. They're like home aloneing. <laughs> they, they are home aloneing. This whole thing. You <laughs> they guys. just keep putting out good stuff. Yes. They can't stop. <laughs> they are the Pixar. Wait, Pixar is going downhill. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so we have <laughs> the author of the new book, Popes and Feminists, Elise, difficult last name. Uh, Crappy shit. <sighs> I just feel like you're cursing at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. And she did explain that it's French. And so who can speak French? Well, just the French. Someone send us a voicemail of the proper pronunciation. Yeah. To all of our French fans. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Okay. So Elise, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on our show. I know you are a mother of, I think, let me guess. Five. Five. Sorry, I didn't let you guess. 
Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I was going to guess five because I think I actually already knew that in the back of my head and cheated a little bit, but five. So yes. Is thanks. accessing memories cheating? <laughs> I feel like I cheated because I was like, wait, I think I know the answer to this question. But anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to come and um, talk to us about it. But before we jump thank in. You having me. That was very kind of you to have me and I'm really happy to be here. Well, your book's great. Um, and I want people to know about it. And um, so, but before we dive into that, tell me a little bit, just tell me about you. Who's Elise? Well, I am married and I grew up a Christian. I should start there. And I grew up down south, but now I live in Idaho. And in fact, I in college, I had a friend who was from Idaho and I said, and you should never say this kind of thing, well, who lives in Idaho? <laughs> what kind of state is that? And that's how you end up living here. And it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. But it's not what I thought I would do. So uh, like I said, I grew up down south. I moved out here just to take a year off of grad school. And I ended up marrying a guy out here who's from California. I stay home with our kids. I finished up grad school and then came back and married him. I stay home with our kids. And I love it. I love to read. I love to, I love to take care of my kids. Yeah. Travel. Yeah. I love to travel. Those are some of my favorite things too. Right. (laughs) I mean, I don't take, I don't have any kids, but (laughs) I do love kids. I love taking care of kids that are not mine. Yeah. Joy's the best with kids actually. (laughs) Better than me and I have four. But anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) okay. So you wrote a book with a super provocative title and when I first heard of the concept for the book I pretty much I couldn't wait to get my hands on it and I made them send me a pdf (laughs) um because I was looking forward to it so much but um okay so tell us about okay so your book is called popes and feminists as we know um tell us about kind of why, where did this idea of writing a book about popes and feminists come from? Well, actually, I was giving a talk for a ladies' event at our church, and I was supposed to talk on wisdom for wives. And I was going to just use some different examples from my own life. And our pastor's wife said, you know, you probably should just remove yourself from it and use some other kinds of examples. And I thought, well, I really like history, and I've always loved reading biographies, so I'm going to use some examples from history. And as I started studying a little bit and thinking about that, it occurred to me that this question that I have had sort of all my life ties into this Wisdom for Wives talk that I was going to give. And the question I've had is, is it enough to be a wife and mother? Are you actually being lazy? Are you actually sacrificing a noble calling, which would be to a career, to stay home with your kids or or to be a helpmeet. And so as I'm thinking about that and then also studying history, I'm seeing, okay, so these reformers' wives um, are answering that question by the way they're living, that in fact it is a noble calling to stay home with your children, to be a helpmeet to your husband. And in addition to that, they're they're living out what Martin Luther said in his, well, in all kinds of different ways, but he, one of his focuses was the, the concept of vocation as not 
vocation at the time was considered to be just something you did for the church. So you became an, a, pre, a priest, a monk, a nun, something like that. And any other vocation, any other job was not a true vocation. It wasn't set apart for the Lord. And he said, no, anything that you do that's lawful is honoring God. It is serving God, even if it's not strictly for the church. Right. Does this make right. sense? Yeah, I yes. love it. I love it. Um, this is, it's something that I think not enough of us are really into history. And I think that some of us, um, potentially because we have friends or family members who are Catholic, uh, it's kind of difficult to talk about the problems in the Catholic Church without seeming um, extremely offensive um, towards maybe people that are in our lives or people that we love. Um, but why don't you go ahead and do that anyway and tell us? Because um, <laughs> uh, I this was this was fascinating to me. Uh, I grew up going to like my dad debating Catholics all the time, and that was like some of my earliest memories are sitting in you know debates that my dad was having against Catholics, and you know I remember him writing a book on Catholicism and all this stuff. Despite that, um, I actually still because uh, what I was mostly exposed to was the differences between uh, Protestant theology and Catholic theology, I did not know until I read your book um, some of the things that were going on in the Catholic Church during the time of Luther um, that really do impact you know the con you ending up tying popes and feminists together. So could you just give us a little brief, because you do this so well and it's so interesting, Tell us a little bit about the Catholic Church and, and specifically their view of women during that time. Okay, so I, I, I should say the reason that I think it's important to study the history uh, and why I bring it in, I mean, it's most of the book really, is to be able to answer the questions that we're seeing in our culture with feminism and the way feminism has spread even in the church. And so... What I'm doing in the book is looking at, are there parallels in the Catholic society before the Reformation and our current society? And if so, how did the reformers answer that, those, those issues in the church? And then how do their answers for that, those issues at that time also provide answers for us today? And I don't think I would have written a book if I didn't think the answer there would be yes. Right. <laughs> uh, so just to give that little bit of context, the situation in the Catholic Church at the time was extremely corrupt. And I think it's in some ways helpful to think of it this way. When years ago, Jim, Jimmy Baker, I mean, Jim Baker, his name, Tammy Faye was his wife, uh -huh. was this evangelist who ended up, I think he had, some, there was a major scandal involving him. The whole, imagine if the entire church had to answer to him. He, and that you didn't have the Bible to look at to say, he's wrong because he was above the Bible. So if that's your situation, you are trapped. You don't have something to measure him against. He's the measurement. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. This is the situation that they were in at the time because then as now, I, I believe it is still the case. The Pope supersedes the word of God. The Pope is above the word of God and tells you what the word of God means. Well, at that time, they also didn't have copies of their Bibles. They didn't, they weren't allowed to. Of course, right. it wasn't translated into the vernacular. So there's this 
the the problem is the Pope was far more corrupt than any evangelist that I could name for you. The Pope would, the Popes had children. They were supposed to be celibate, but they had children. The church would legitimize them so that they could give their children offices in the church, which meant that the children would have money, a living of some sort. The, the idea of um, the Pope being moral or spiritual in a, the way that we would want someone to be now, that was not happening at all. They, of course, were immoral in the in their sexual lives, but they're also, um, well, their finances. They had, there was a pope whose son kept murdering people, and that was problematic. Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little. <laughs> I love you. You just said <laughs> you just said that was problematic. You're the best. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. There were a lot of problematic things such as that. Yeah. And so at any rate, you had this system of the church. I mean, if you have the leader at the top of the church doing those kinds of things, you're not going to expect the rest of the church to be going really great, right? Right. So the the church was at sometimes they were actually financing brothels. It is a good investment if you think about it, but it isn't a moral investment. No, it kind of goes against the uh, the whole First Timothy requirements of an elder, right? I would think. Yes. So the priests would often have concubines, and the and you could just pay a cradle tax. So the priests would pay this tax for their concubines and their children. And then they would also pay a tax if they visited a brothel. So at, in those places where the church was actually invested in the brothels, they're making money both coming and going. I mean, like you're making the investment, you're making the tax money. Um, there are, and it should be noted, that there were people at the time who were saying, in the Catholic Church, besides the Reformers, saying, this is bad news. This has got to stop. But uh, they, they weren't having a lot of success dealing with these issues at uh, women were not overall respected so you would have some women who were really knowledgeable they'd be uh in court you know they there was a girl olympia Murata. she was considered one of the most brilliant if not the most brilliant young girl of her time period and she's it's all wonderful until she becomes of marriageable age and then they kind of don't know what to do with her Right. So mm -hmm. the thing is, what they tended to do with these women is they either women went off to become part of a convent and then there's some form of respect for them and they revere the, the vows that the women in the convents took. But the women are told this is how you're earning salvation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're married to Christ and the final consummation of that is after you die. And the convents were not all sweetness and light. Mm -hmm. um, so, or there's women stay at home. And, and the popular idea of women was pretty rotten. I mean, it's things like, if you get a wife, you get a devil on your back. Right. I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> no. No. So anyway, the reformers came along and said, actually, a woman staying at home is is doing something noble and wonderful and serving God. And God is pleased with her and happy with her. And in addition to that, they said women and men are are equal in the sight of God. They are women are not spiritually inferior, which was something that the Catholic Church had espoused. 
Wow. I didn't know that part. I missed that part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that if they, if, well, if formal church doctrine said women are spiritually inferior, but there's a lot of, a lot of theologians who are saying at the time, you know, Adam sinned just to please his wife. Right. Oh, he takes the fruit just for that. Well, if you say that, then the woman is providing this temptation and these, and you and men should be frightened of that. Look what they could do in the presence of a woman that they're trying to please. Right. So I think that that is some of the driver for some of the celibacy. Right. Well, and so. OK, so I think our modern understanding of the Catholic Church is probably pretty lacking or typically just black and white. Like, well, you're either Catholic or you're Protestant. And a lot of the history that you bring up in the book was really um, it made a lot of sense. It explained a lot, but it was really new for me. But similarly, uh, you know, I was reading a very popular book uh, about women the other day, women in the Bible. And the author made the assertion that the early feminists were Christians. Now, a lot of what a lot of especially the quote from the early feminists like Emma Goldman and Susan B. Anthony and whoever the lady was that was essentially Margaret Sanger's um, mentor, um, they didn't seem very Christian to me. So what do you do with kind of the presupposition that, well, the first wave of feminists um, were actually Christian in their what they were trying to do because there is a problem of well the first wave of feminists had a lot to do with the ending of slavery for example and that's a very good thing and that's something christians should have been a part of um but so what do we what do what do you do with that actually i'll be honest that's something i really want to study and understand because i'd like to know how so you can have two people trying to do the same thing for entirely different reasons and their trajectory that they're on, they, so they're, they're imagine they're both on a trajectory and that trajectory is going to meet at some point, but then it continues for each of them going in completely opposite directions. If that makes sense, it's like two lines making an X, right? And so the point where they meet might be the same, but where they go afterwards is not. And I would love to understand what was the theology at the time. I know that there, um, just in that wasn't the focus on my book, but I do know that the theology had become more emotional, less intellectual, and there had um, there had become a real strong influence of women in the church and less of men leading. This is just the little bit I've read. So I'd love to know, okay, is that, is that what happened? Where they may have been pursuing some things that are good and right. We really, yes, women are equal in the sight of God, and, and you shouldn't be abusing them, for goodness sake. But was, is this the right way to pursue that? And, right. and so I, I think the methods have, that they use to pursue it uh, make obvious, manifest what their motives and their theology may have been. Right. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely. So what is what is the line that you draw between the Catholic Church in that 
that time and the feminists of today? So, you know, one of the things that I felt definitely growing up, I always loved to study. I loved to read. I loved school. Um, although, I mean, I think there were times I thought school was boring as many, <laughs> like my third graders and fourth grade, you know, right. kids like that. Yes. They were that, right. But I did love it. And, and I felt like, oh, you know, I, I got this sort of gist from counselor, you know, guidance counselors or professors or, or whatever. Well, what are you going to do with your life? And the idea that I would stay home was with children was ridiculous. And, and don't you realize you're intelligent and you need to use your gifts and do something meaningful and worthwhile. And as I'm looking at these women in the 16th century at the time of the Reformation, I'm thinking that, you know, they're joining convents thinking this is the way that I can have salvation. This is the way I can do something God will be happy with. And as a Christian growing up with all of this influence that I think was a feminist influence of if you're not having a career, you're not doing anything meaningful or worthwhile mm-hmm. or fulfilling in some way. That is the same push that the Catholic Church was giving to the nuns. Right. right. And so I'm thinking, well, then the answer always has to go back to the Bible. And the reformers did a great job of highlighting what what God actually wants from people and that God is pleased with anything that you do for him that's, you know, any lawful activity. Right. Right. I think that has a lot to do with, I think we're still, you know, um, Rebecca Merkel in Even Exile, you know, kind of makes the point that uh, we're still kind of trying to figure out value like what gives women value and we don't have an answer from the culture and the culture has started to so influence the church that um i mean you know we talk about feminism a lot and we get a lot of pushback from christians who um feel that we need the message of feminism that we can identify with feminism in general Whereas I I have a hard time with that presumption because it does seem to me that the message of feminism is like you said, that you're essentially wasting your talents if you stay home. And so we know that that's not true on an intellectual level, right? Like we agree with the reformers. Right. But But it feels like it's true when you're hearing someone say this. And I think that comes to one of the the central issues is guilt. Why should they be telling you this is what the standard is and you have to uphold to our standard? It's the same thing the Catholic Church came up with a false standard as well. There is only one way out of guilt and it's through the cross of Christ and you don't get any other way. And and I do think that one of the things you see in feminism now is women it's a selfishness. It's a, we have to do this for the cause of women. And as you study the women of the Reformation and other faithful women throughout history, their thoughts were never, let me see how I can advance the cause of women or any sort of special victimized class. It was always, what can I do to glorify God? How can I advance the gospel? How can I make his kingdom known? Right. And that's the point. Yeah. Now it's, now it's more about advancing the present and future of women through education and career. And there's this 
pervasive idea that you're squandering this opportunity for all of us. Yes. Like it's not, it's just not just like a personal loss. It's like for everyone on a collective scale, you're mess, you're messing this up for us. If you decide to stay at home and be a mom. Right. Like, and, and you should be sacrificing for women. No, you give your life up for Christ. You don't sacrifice for other women. Right. I mean, that's, and of course you do, because you give it up for Christ, you are sacrificing for other women, like your daughters. Right. But you have to start with the gospel, and then women do advance. If you start with the, I mean, you look at the the society after the Reformation, over the course of hundreds of years. So of course it didn't happen in five years, but there was education for everyone. Everyone could read because they want to read their Bibles, and they all had Bibles because the Bibles were being printed in the vernacular. So. You have people knowing the Bible better, people reading their Bibles, people getting educations that otherwise wouldn't have. So actually women did advance because of that, but it has to start with the gospel if you want true advancement, which I'm sure you agree with. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's such a simple, what you just said is so obvious and so elusive. The concept that no, your life belongs to Christ and you live to glorify him. Your existence is not to, quote, help other women in whatever worldly fashion the current movement perceives advancement as. Right. Um, and that's so obvious, but it's not something we have been trained necessarily, especially not by the culture, to think about. Do you think also that... I know this is not my interview of you, but go for it. I, That's okay. I I do wonder if part of our problem is that we have become so accustomed to having things right away that we now think if there isn't a change in five minutes or one year, if at the tops, then obviously the whole thing is, has proven false. Oh, it has been oh. proven false. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think I think we all do that in small and grand ways. I mean, I can think of at least three things off the top of my head that I have I have done that in my personal life. Been like, okay, well, this isn't changing right now, so it's not working or it's not good or it's right. not. And it feels like the gospel is a lot slower than that. It's used yeah, through a life, right. right? It's not going to be like, well, tomorrow it's all going to be better. Right, right. Well, and in terms of, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it because in terms of this like weird uh progressive space race it would like if you looked at it that way like who's getting there first who's doing more well in the states it would almost it would appear to be feminism and so maybe there is a like the reason why people are so quick to buy into this is because it does appear to be rather successful and then of course yeah, very postmodern kind of thing yeah well, and essentially, you know, my problem with feminism is that they have to borrow from our worldview in the first place to make their case. Yeah. Um, and so they're borrowing from my worldview. To, we already have everything we need in scripture to say that men and women are of equal worth and value inherently. Um, and so we don't need a movement to say that. And so especially one that comes with. All the, All the other things that feminism comes with. Right. And so the pro could stand in a non-Christian, what ha a, a society that hadn't formerly been Christian. I don't even think, how, how would you have feminism? Right, right, exactly. With, 
exactly on a basis. And and I do think I, w- I would say that I think what they have done is said they yes we're equal in the sight of God and they've turned that into we have to be the same and our worth is measured in dollars and therefore it has to like we have to be earning the same as a man doing the exact same job as a man like there's so many things where it's so wooden and the gospel isn't wooden like that right do you think it's do you think that um women trying to be men is actually very feminist like does it seem like there's something wrong with that don't you think it's kind of funny I do. I feel like I feel like the message of feminism now is that if women were in charge of the patriarchy, everything would be fine. Yes, and, I have read a bit of that. Like we just need women in the corporate boardrooms. Yes. We just need women as partners in law firms because then all the women would but I, the dividing line through the human race is I, I mean we know this it's not women versus men. It's God's people versus God's not people, you right. know, it's the saved and the damned. Right. And But I, the sadness of it all is how many people are believing in a feminist theology, a, a view of the world that's never going to help them. Right. They can't ever make it. Right. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the answers. And it, it's, it's come across, I think, in a lot of ways, my concern for feminism in the church specifically isn't so much the outright feminists you know the women who are like you know women make just as good pastors or women who are pastors or my concern is more with the subtle feminism the sub kind of more subversive strand of feminism um yeah you know like the concept of toxic masculinity um seems really dishonest to me because uh, it's not really that that talk that some men are quote toxic but that masculinity itself is toxic and so I think what we lose is biblical categories of femininity and masculinity and lines start to be really really blurred and so it's I think it's the people who aren't really outright feminists that are more of a danger I think you're absolutely right, because those are the most, I mean, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're they're offering a false gospel, but, and I don't even know that they always know it, you know, I mean, I think sometimes it's, this is just what they've absorbed from the culture around them, and they think it's fine. Right, right. So, and that was something that I really struggled with, which is part of why I wrote the book, because I felt guilty about doing the things I wanted to do with my life and like they weren't enough like maybe and and maybe this is too shit to say but maybe even this whole idea that you have to be a missionary if you want to be a good Christian it's like well missions is a wonderful and good and right thing but you don't have to be a missionary to be a good Christian right and I definitely got that idea like that's kind of the Christian version of the the feminism well if you had this career Right. Right. Oh, that's so true. That's very uh, 16th century Catholicism of us. Right. Think that way, right? Yeah. Because it's actually not exciting to be a missionary to your kids in some sense, right? I mean, it's way more exciting to go to the people group that doesn't have a written language 
And it's good and right that people do that, but it can feel like they're the ones doing the important work and I'm just back here with the diapers. Right. Right. Well, it is, it is hard. It's something that I think you have to take a very, you have to take an intentional posture. Um, I mean, in all areas of your life, but we're specifically talking about choosing to stay home at this moment. Right. Right. And when it's something that you do every single day and there's literally no one that sees it or is going to be thanking you for it. Right. Um, you have to have a very intentional mindset going into it and all throughout it and every day that this is your mission field and this is these are your first neighbors that you're called to love and to disciple and it's just it's such a countercultural message and it it's so interesting to me how um just as we look at what has happened in the culture as feminism has continued to be a thing um, and, you know, I read as at a study a couple of years ago that basically showed that women who were in the workforce and had kids, as soon as their husband hit a salary where he would be able to support the whole family, the majority of women would leave the workforce and choose to stay home. And mm-hmm. this was a really sadness to feminism. Right. It was divisive. Exactly. Exactly. And so and yet feminism is supposed to be about doing your own lady thing, (laughs) you know, whatever choice you make is right on the basis of the fact that you're a woman. Right. Right. But at the same time, we still want you to do what we want you to do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, one woman said she, I think it, I think this was Sheryl Sandberg quoting a baby boomer who said, you know, we, we wanted you to make your own choices. It just never occurred to us. So many of you would choose to stay home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Right. That's the problem with giving people choices. Right. <laughs> yeah, which they have, which the feminists have recognized, which is right. why we are moving into this weird intersectionality um, to sort of start to remove the choice. Right. Like you either are with us or you're against us. Yeah. Yep. There's and we'll shame choice. you. <laughs> right. 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 Okay, so did you have one question for her before? No, I... we already asked it. You asked I it. did, but we already have a, okay. we already covered it. Well, I have a fun question for you. Great. And you're not prepared for this one. <laughs> no, probably not. And this is what we do to all of our guests. <laughs> so you're so welcome. Welcome to Sheologian. I've heard this before. I have listened to your podcast and heard the fun question, So I'm not, but I'm sure not this fun question. No, no, no. Exciting. I would never recycle an old question and <laughs> use it on you, Elise. I wouldn't do that to Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind of you. <laughs> okay. So my question to you is, what is your favorite really kind of feministy guilty pleasure song? You have to have oh. one. I know you do. You might not know it, and you can take a second. And it's okay if you take a second, because I have mine. Okay, tell what yours is, and then I'll see where I go. Okay. Joy, do you have one? Um, I'm just going to throw out the first one that came into my head. What was it? Is it the same? Are we going to have the same? I don't think we have the same one, because mine's ridiculous. Okay. Um, Who Run the World by Beyonce. <laughs> okay. I like hiking to that, because you like hike super, super fast. fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
very quick. Well, you do need music like that. I used to run track when I was in high school, which I loved. But you and you need something that makes you want to actually right. keep moving. Yeah, you have to have a good like beat going on. Right. Yeah. It, it's a, you can appreciate a beat without the words. I don't even know what the words are to that song. So, <laughs> right. It's the words too. So it's who run the world, girls. <laughs> Pretty much, that's <laughs> the only know, lyrics. Isn't Beyonce, the one that Beyonce, the one that sings all the single ladies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. One of the books I read for this book and uh, researching was all the single ladies. And so my husband would often, when he would see me with the book, start singing. And I'm not saying that I really liked that. Right. Right. It, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's yours? Mine is I'm just a girl by no doubt. Oh, see, I knew it would be something a little more like cool. Than well, mine. I'm not that cool. It's just that no doubt. That's is, a classic girl song. It's a girl song. It's right there in the title. And it says sar- girl. Tell me I'm wrong. Right. It's sarcastic. It's just. I'm pretty sure the actual title of Who Run the World is Who Run the World parentheses. Girls. Girls. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's it. It's right there. Oh, <laughs> true confessions. Ooh, yes. I do. You know, this is the, always what you're aiming for with the fun question, right? Mm-hmm. I am not the best about listening to music all the time. In fact, I have no idea what songs are cool because when it's when everybody's out of the house, I think, oh, it's quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they're all there, I think if the music's on, I can't listen to all five of you ask me questions at one time. Right, right. So I, I do think when all of my children are in school, I will be inclined to actually listen to more. Right, right. But at this point in my life, if if it's quiet, I'll listen to Christmas carols even yeah. to yeah. get rid of that quiet. But otherwise, I think, oh, oh, there's no one making noise. Okay. Yeah. I can get some, a few things done here real fast. Does it so, scare you sometimes? Because when I'm at home and the kids aren't, I get like, I, get, I feel there's like a... There could be a solid 30 seconds where I wonder why I feel so uneasy. And then I realize I haven't heard this level of silence yet today. It's true. It's true. Yes. Like and when it, you can hear the quiet, like there's that like little yeah. vibration in the air that happens when there's no other sound. It's yeah. like the sound of absence of sound. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> it's true that sometimes you just feel like, are we all right? Right. <laughs> what should I, I be doing that I'm not doing? Yes. <laughs> I think I hear the the world rotating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, does that mean you're not going to pick a song? What about an old song when you ran track? Let's see. I always like that song, I'm Walking on Sunshine. It's a very happy beat. I don't think that's a feministy song, though, um, is it? Well, since only I, women can walk on sunshine, I'm sure <laughs> that must be it. I'm sure that men can't. Right. Because um, they're so toxic. Yeah, that's true. Toxic mas- masculinity, which means all men just all wrong men. being it's, a man. Masculinity is just, it should have that like toxic sign on it just everywhere. Just right. stamp it right on them. Well, you know, like when they're, when boys are born, they come out with that little radioactive sign and then like the doctor just throws it away. You guys haven't seen that? I haven't seen that. <laughs> Not on mine. No. And I should have looked more closely. Yeah, yeah no kidding. I, didn't, I haven't given birth to a boy yet, but maybe I'll try it. <laughs> All it right. It does feel sometimes, I do feel bad for my boys sometimes. I think, oh, 
you are white boys. This is not yeah. going to be helpful for no, you. No, it's right. not. Like, you have, you're in trouble, man. You are yeah. what's wrong with the current culture. Yeah. So, okay, Elise, please tell us where our listeners can get a hold of your awesome book. You know, they can get it from Canon, canonpress.com, I think is the address. Yes. Or Amazon. Okay. They should know. Uh, it, it is canonpress.com, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. <laughs> I'm sorry. That doing the sales of my book is maybe not my strong suit. <laughs> That's okay. Your thesis sells itself. Let's be honest. Seriously. Thanks. That's very kind of you. Thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And hey, um, you have to spell your last name because I really do pe- want people to find your book. Right. And I know it's it's such a hard last name to say. So and if just, we say it, they'll just be. They'll be like, forget it. Right. <laughs> oh, it won't be worth it to them. You know, actually, I well, you want me to spell it the way I spell it for everyone? I never. So when people ask me, okay, what's your last name? You know, if I'm calling to order something or some, or whatever, I will just say, let me just spell it for you. I never say it. And <laughs> I try to keep them from understanding what the first four words spell. Right. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I say C is in Charlie, R-A, P is in Paul, U, C-H-E, T is in Tom, T is in Tom, E, <laughs> S is in Sam. And sometimes they will say, uh, how do you say that? Uh-huh. Or sometimes they will say, um, I'm sorry, I missed this. And, if, and then I just have to say, okay, so you spell out the word crap? <laughs> then you, then shuts. <laughs> there's, and there's just no <sighs> around it. Nope. No. But I try. So there you go. Okay. So worth it though he's a great guy right totally I mean you're stuck with this and you might as well just enjoy it I I get it I mean Joy and I have names not quite like that but where people are always making puns you know right well yeah yeah. because Summer and I have names that are words like in the English language not just name names right right yes so you're Elise Krapuschitz Krapuschitz okay and um, yeah, guys, go to canonpress.com, pick up Popes and Feminists. It will enlighten you. It will make you check your worldview at the door. It's just great. I really can't. Um, and the information. Yeah. Like the historical information. You're going to do some learning, you guys. Awesome. It's great. So, all right, Elise, thanks so much. Will you, um, I mean, just drop everything you're doing and write another book so we can have you back on the show is that you are very kind <laughs> i really appreciate it and it was so nice to meet the both of you yes so yeah, nice this to was meet a you lot too. of fun yeah and hopefully someday in person yes that would be- yeah Let's do it. i'm gonna make it up there one of these days and i'm gonna eat the from the ice cream machine at canon press see i and come over to my house for dinner. I'd love to have you. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, see, I, what I want now is I want a book that is hot off the press, literally. I oh. want to hold a book and have it be warm. Oh. That's my I'm new life goal. I'm listening to the printer print as I talk to you. Oh, so, go touch them. <laughs> touch all of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right lady we will thank you seriously thank you so much for coming on our show and i mean hopefully we'll get to talk to you again i would love that all right okay. talk to you later bye bye, bye.
Okay, so that was awesome. Yeah, I really like her a lot. She's so sweet. And the book's really good. The book is really good. Um, I attempted to get through as much of it as possible because I got it yesterday. Luke gave it to me yesterday. Right. And um, I tend to be a fairly quick reader, but also busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so... I know. I'm definitely... It's one of those that I'm going to keep reading. And so far, it's just... So great. Awesome. I learned a lot. I All used, the historical stuff. The historical great. stuff is really interesting. And I was able to use it. Like, it, they sent it to me at just the right time because I was kind of finishing up what I wanted to say at the conference in D.C. Okay. Because I w- was trying to figure out, like... Okay, I've just explained this like disaster of intersectionality and feminism and how it impacts the church. Like, how do I bring this back up a little bit? Like, what's right. the hope, you know? And then this book, like, really, it just does a good job of kind of giving you the hope of like what women are for. Right. And so then, well, and we've had it just, it also shows you that it's happened before in the past that sort of an improper view of women was yeah. around, it was happening, yep. and then people were able to reform it. Right. So. Right. So get the book. It's really great. And I mean, obviously, I think if we did not do this next feminist of the week, we did not nominate this person, it would be remiss. I mean, if you read the book, you'll understand how the Pope was really the feminist of history. (laughs) I mean, let's nominate him. Explain. Because essentially the church, and this is her thesis, is like the church really did believe that in order for women to be of value, they had to leave the home. Right. And they had to go do the only worthy vocation that women right. could do, which right. was become the nuns. The thing they wanted them to do. Right. Which is totally a feminist. Right. And then it, <laughs> so it's so interesting how... In feminism, you know, the whole goal, stated goal, is to treat women as equals. But what's happened is, I mean, just look at the sexual devastation around us. Like, our culture is just full of sexual confusion and sexual devastation. And it has, and then you look at that time in the Catholic Church, and it was just debauchery and using women. And, you know, I think there was even one part in... Uh, the book where she pointed out just like um, it was like the it was like the best kept secret that wasn't a secret that right. like you would never leave your kids around some of the highest offices of the church because well, yeah. it was just like debauched and so it's well, and like they would just pay a tax and right it would be fine right if they didn't get caught no tax right like so, what the heck essentially I do believe like when you devalue women you when you devalue marriage you have cultural and sexual destruction yeah um and you oh, absolutely. saw that in that time and you see it around us now and yeah i guess the pope he totally would have fit in with the feminists of today yeah agreed <laughs> all right guys that's it for this week um please continue to support us on patreon as we mentioned last week it's how we can keep doing what we're doing um and we just really appreciate you guys we want to keep doing more i'm working hard on t-shirts by the way joy has made i can't wait for you guys to see what joy has made they're really good i know i made them so i hope it doesn't 
I'm not going to become like an egomaniac, but I'm also not going to be falsely humble. No, they're great. And we're working on it. I'm really proud it. of them. And I think you guys are going to like them. Yes. I think you guys are going to love them. Um, so yeah, uh, keep supporting us on Patreon. Please consider signing up at patreon.com slash theologians so we can keep doing this. And or so that we can do more. Or so that we can do more. Because exactly. we'd love to hit a point yes. where that could happen. Yes. So we would love to get to a point where we can fly the Pope out <laughs> and have him on. <laughs> Did you know that there is a mythical female Pope? Tell me about the mythical female Pope. Pope Joan. Good old Pope Joan. Um, she was dismissed as a, as she, or sh- as a myth. So basically, of it was like this, this, this person that she was a female and she was the Pope. And then someone, someone in particular was like, no, she never existed. She never was even a real person. Women are always who, being dismissed. You want to know who that person was? Who? It was the Roman Catholic church. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we don't, I don't really know if Pope Joan ever existed or if that was just damage control, but apparently she... So interesting. I'm going to have to ask my dad about that. Oh, she disguised herself as a man, often at the behest of a lover. So there was a trans Pope. In the most common accounts, due to her abilities, she rose to the church hierarchy and was eventually elected Pope. It was revealed that she was a woman when she gave birth during a procession. I mean, that'll really out you. That, you know? that is one surefire way. Surefire way. No one was confused after this. Oh, my goodness. All right, guys. I didn't even know what we were getting into when I just brought up no. Pope Joan. No, I don't. But Pope Joan. Yes. I'm glad that you did. We're He's learning now widely accepted to be fictional. Oh, of course. Of course she's fake. But there remains a legend influential in art, literature, drama, and film. Have you seen any films about Pope Joan? I have not seen any films about the Have you seen pope. any no. films about a male pope no. walking a procession and giving no. birth in the middle of it? No, but I'd love to see that movie. <laughs> Somebody make that movie, please, right now. Pope Joan is needs a movie. Needs Needs it now. Right. The quarter after one, she never mind. Okay. Hey, guys. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Bye.